Every month, we offer exciting new webinars for our community. Topics include how to use retirement accounts to buy real estate overseas, how to get a second passport in Latin America, why you should sell your stock portfolio and move your money offshore, how to buy beachfront rental properties in Brazil for less than $100,000, or apartments in Paraguay for less than $60,000. If you want to join us for free for these presentations with live Q&A, insider secrets, and exclusive opportunities with my professional network of experts, then go to expatmoney.com forward slash webinars. That's expatmoney.com forward slash webinars to register for free upcoming presentations. expatmoney.com forward slash webinars. We all dream of seeing the world, but the realities of living somewhere outside your place of birth can be daunting to say the least. Welcome to the Expat Money Show, helping you make the most out of your overseas career through conversations with successful expats on investing, entrepreneurship, self-improvement, and continual education, all while sharpening your financial acumen. Now, please welcome your host with over 20 years of overseas experience, Mikkel Thorup. Today we have an unbelievable episode for you and I'm so excited to share it with you. But before we get going, I just wanted to mention to you about my book, Expat Secrets, How to Pay Zero Taxes, Live Overseas and Make Giant Piles of Money. Now I wrote this book almost four years ago and it became a number one bestseller. And just recently, four years on, it has become a number one bestseller again. So there are a lot of people out there who are getting a lot of value from this book. And I get comments literally every day how this book has changed their lives. So I'm really excited to have done this. And I want you, if you haven't already, to go out there and pick up a copy. It is completely evergreen. The knowledge and the things that I share in it are timeless. Okay, there might be one or two programs that have changed with immigration, but the concept, the ideas, the mentality of being an expat and how all of these pieces fit together for the offshore markets, it is still applicable. So if you go to Amazon and search my name, Mikkel Thorpe, or Expat Secrets, it should come up at the very, very first. Otherwise, if you go to expatmoneyshow.com, you should see some links on my website that will redirect you to Amazon in your region to pick up the book. So Expat Secrets, if you haven't had a chance to read it, then I suggest you do now. Support the show. All the money goes back into the podcast to produce this content for you. So I appreciate the support. And if you want to be a really cool human being, do me a favor and leave a review for the book. I really appreciate it. It really helps new authors like me to sustain and pay for all of this type of stuff. So your support is definitely welcome. That's it. Enjoy today's episode. I hope you get a ton out of it and I will talk to you soon. Welcome, welcome, welcome. My name is Mikkel Thorpe and this is the Expat Money Show. Today's guest is an expat living in Copenhagen, Denmark and has over 12 years of marketing and startup experience. He is an international keynote speaker, entrepreneur, startup junkie, growth hacker, mentor, and six-time course designer and main instructor for Talent Garden's growth hacking course. Please welcome to the show, Taylor Ryan. Taylor, how are you? Fantastic. How are you? Very good. I'm really happy to have you on today. And I guess before we get going, why don't you take a minute and kind of walk us through your backstory? How did you end up in marketing as a career? How did you end up in Denmark? I want to hear it all. Yeah, I mean, it's it's that's a quite a big question, and I always kind of have a different answer depending on where I'm at. So bear with me, but yeah, I got into marketing kind of through psychology. Uh, so that was my degree way way back when. I let an 18 year old version of myself decide what I was going to do for the rest of my life. Uh, didn't realize that you really have to stay in school well past kind of your PhD program in order to start doing some of the things within psychology that I was really into. Uh, so after I graduated from my bachelor's, I was ready to really start working and found that maybe the type of marketer that I thought was really a marketer that usually was a very pretty girl that did lots of events isn't actually what marketing is all about. Uh, and I got into sales uh, pretty early and found that a big part of this was finding and generating your own leads or finding unique and interesting ways to convert people more quickly. And that's actually what a lot of growth hacking and marketing really is. So I kind of came into this world pretty early, graduated the height of the economic recession, which meant there were no jobs uh, and started working for entrepreneurs, founders, solopreneurs as their first hire and 
worked my way into really crazy businesses and eventually ended up kind of crafting a bit of a, I would say a flair for marketing. And, and that led into lots of unique and interesting jobs. And now, yeah, well over 13 years of experience within it. I've started six different uh, startups as either a founder or a co-founder and yeah, world keeps on spinning. It's, it's been a crazy journey. I bet. I bet. Well, let's get into the Denmark piece in a moment, but I guess, it must be interesting to enter the workforce in the 2008, 2009 type of time where really it's got to be a eat what you kill type of situation, you know, working with entrepreneurs. You must have had to prove your ability and your opportunity to work to work with you to actually generate revenue from day one because you don't have this massive safety net that everyone else did. And there's no money to waste at that period of time in the world. Sure. I liken it to using the, the phrase fake jobs. There were a ton of fake jobs out there where it's basically like you come in and you smile and dial and exactly what you said, you, you kill. So it's like 100% you know, commission-based jobs, which for somebody that's fresh out of school and wants to cut their teeth on something, those are usually BS jobs that don't land you in any type of career field. They just are more or less kind of human robotic jobs. And my heart goes out to anybody that's kind of going through one of those right now. I've been there. Uh, I've been there a bunch. Uh, one of my first big jobs uh, was selling barrels up and down the East Coast to wineries and distilleries and actually going to like fairs, festivals, and that type of stuff on the weekends in order to sell this stuff. And I consider that to be a good job compared to selling law services online, for-profit, uh, college education, all kinds of just terrible vocations that realistically, it's exactly what you said. You, you're basically eat what you kill and getting nothing uh, along the side of that. And that's training included. So yeah, it was a pretty rough run, but it does teach you kind of a, a, a cutthroat mentality. And I need to sell this thing right away. And you know, it's a one call close and the different closing techniques that you start to kind of pick up are really unique, but it's certainly not something you can spread across every industry. Yeah, but I think that having a basis in a business where you really have to go out there and hustle and produce probably puts you in the right frame of mind when you go out there and do your own stuff. Is it the way forward? No, it's not. I mean, it's not going to be the how you're going to build your business, but it is something that is a real life skill, like cold calling I mean, I've never had to do cold calling in my life. Even the thought of it just makes me a little bit ill to my stomach. However, I can see, you know, how that certainly would build some character for someone. Well, character building is, uh, I think, what a lot of entrepreneurs deal with. You know, all of your, your failed projects, your, your failed efforts at, at a startup or whatever the case is, that's really all that you can harken back to after the dust is settled and you've moved on to the next thing was, wow, that was a lot of time, effort, and energy that I'll never get back. And yeah, you know, like you kind of learn to bottle that, that emotion and mindset and flower it with the term of like, well, that was good experience or, or character building or something that, you know, I'm- I'm so guilty just, of that. I'm so guilty <laughs> of that. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's part of kind of the, the moving walkway that is entrepreneurship is, you know, the, the first few are really rough. And, and that is where you get- some of the more interesting kind of learning or teachable moments. So it is important. It's just something I wish I could skip through a lot faster. Well, okay. So there is an important point there. And, you know, my subscribers have probably heard me say this one, two, 10, 20 times. I think that a lot of times people believe that the best way to learn something is from your mistakes. Actually, for me, that's the absolute worst way to learn things. The best way to learn is from someone else's mistakes. If you can learn from someone else's mistakes, that is going to save you a massive amount of time. And I think that that is why working with professionals who have been in this space before, you know, can really help either mentors or course, courses or coaches. I mean, that's a shortcut for sure. Did I follow my own advice? No, probably not. I made like <laughs> a thousand and one mistakes. Oh my God. I think back to some of my first businesses. What a dumpster fire. I mean, so much time wasted, so much money wasted. So much energy just expended for absolutely nothing. But yeah, I'm going to take a little bit of solace in the fact that I got a lot of character, man. I got a lot of character. 
Sure. And I'm sure you can agree. It's the things that you sometimes learn the hard way that stick with you the longest. And those are mistakes that you'll never make twice, or at least you're not supposed to. So I I totally agree with that sentiment, 100%. So what were the things that you have learned that have propelled you forwards that someone else who's listening to this today would go, hey, I'm going to learn from Taylor's mistakes. I'm not going to learn from, I'm not going to go through the same things. What are the big ones? If we're talking about just pure entrepreneurship, Having a good partner, uh, and it could be a co-founder, it could be multiple co-founders, um, but you're supposed to have not only an understanding of one another that you know, you're, you're able to convey your thoughts and feelings and, and kind of where you're at in a meaningful way, they digest, understand, and send it right back to you. Having a weird sense of hierarchy between partners can create all kinds of weird resentments, and I, I've learned that the hard way. Uh, And I would also say just picking the absolute wrong business partners, because sometimes you choose, you know, somebody that is the right now or uh, the easiest person to partner with versus somebody that probably will be most likely somebody that will stand the test of time, go through good and bad stints. And I've had great and terrible co-founders and partners and uh, up close, it's really difficult to discern the two. Um, because often we're driven by desperation and, and our need to, to have momentum, get something going fast. And so it's very difficult to get out of those relationships once you've kind of cemented them in. So my earliest suggestion is pick the right people because once you know the ball's rolling, it's very difficult to throw somebody off or, or reposition, which can be quite a challenge. But do you think that it's more important to work with a partner who is the same as you or completely opposite of you, but excel in things that maybe you're weak in? I'm sure I I have my own experiences and maybe yours are a bit different, but I've always thought that it's good to have complementary skills. So I I wouldn't want somebody who's equally uh, a growth hacker and technical digital marketer. I would want somebody that is maybe a bit more on, I don't know, the developer side and somebody that's more of a CTO type to my CMO or CEO myself, my, my background, because you end up getting in these swim lanes that ultimately you want to be able to look over and be like, you're still doing your part. I'm still doing mine. Right. And ultimately that can, uh, yeah, that can get skewed when you're both kind of falling into the same categories or it turns into uh, I want to do this. Well, it's like, well, that's the easy part. It can really depend. Uh, and in many cases I've found myself in, in better situations when it's with somebody that is complimentary, but not exact. Yeah, I hear what you're saying. I mean, I'm trying to think back to my first businesses. I remember I did start businesses with people that was an absolutely terrible match. And I had a horrendous experience. There's no doubt about it. This is funny. I haven't thought about this stuff in a while. Just brutal, brutal, brutal. Then I went out completely solopreneur, and that's where I've been living for the last five, six years. Okay, I have staff who work for me, but I mean their staff, like I can bounce ideas off of them and stuff like that, but they're going to follow my lead at all times. Now I'm kind of getting at the point in my business where I'm actually going to be out there starting new businesses. I'm starting three or four businesses and each one of those businesses has a partner and I'm going to be taking more of a secondary role. I'll be taking more of a marketing role and using my reach and my name And they're going to be running the day-to-day operations. This is going to be interesting to see how it goes. So this is kind of crazy to to have this conversation at this moment where this is all literally coming to fruition as we speak. Yeah, I I totally relate to that. And I think part of being an entrepreneur is wanting to play with different things and and kind of wear different hats. But but ultimately, it's you are distracted very easily by shiny objects. Like I am a hundred percent that, and so. When I see a use case and a business model for something, I'm like, fellas, why aren't we doing this? You know, and you have to decide whether or not that's a good use of time, especially when you're pulled in what sounds like multiple different directions on a daily basis. And I found that prioritizing amongst that can be really challenging, especially if you're not looking at like, okay, what is the most scalable? What is making us the most revenue currently? What will make us the most revenue in the next three to six? Like all those things have a role. Yeah, uh, more power to you. It sounds awesome creating multiple things at once, but it also sounds really daunting. Yeah, well, we'll see how it goes. You know, it could just completely blow up in my face. <laughs> we'll there see. You go. Now, okay, so this is my, and um, this is, I want, I want to get back to questions for you, but I, I'm going to put this out there. 
my in my perspective for my business, I'm looking at the verticals for my business. So my main business is helping people to move overseas. Now I'm starting to think of it in a different way, not a different way, but in a more complementary way. What, what are the big objections for people moving overseas? What are the objections that are stopping and standing in the way? And now I'm trying to put in these verticals on ways that I can help people to overcome these challenges. And each one of the additional quote-unquote businesses is an additional project which should help solve one of the main objections. So it's, they're not like out businesses out of left field. They, in my mind, they all make sense, but we will see how it goes. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's fascinating. I mean, a lot of, so, so a little backstory, uh, you know, I, I was on an American reality show about moving to Denmark called House Hunters International. I don't know if you've okay. ever. I've, I've had some house hunting international stars on my show in the past so oh, that's cool. interesting awesome yeah. yeah so like i i would say right after that show aired i got blown up on linkedin by a bunch of different people and for the most part you know like a handful of people are like you're such a douche and i'm like thanks clever editing but i could be true <laughs> as well um but the other side of it was like how do i do that and i, I don't understand why there was such a like a monumental chasm to get over as to how to move abroad. It, it, I think people just kind of get settled in, in maybe their understanding of how things work. And with me, it was, yeah, four months of, of applications to numerous cities and lots of very late nights uh, or early morning phone calls. And ultimately, after four months, I had two offers. But most people put in the better part of a week and a half passively and then say, oh, it, it didn't pan out. And it's like, well, how bad do you really want to change the path that you're on? Because this is a major life-changing event. You're not putting major life-changing time into it. And that's probably why it hasn't panned out. But, you know, that, that was my experience. And most of the people that reached out to me, you know, I check in from time to time. How'd everything go? It's like, oh, I, I ended up moving to Austin, Texas. And it's like, that's kind of like the Copenhagen. Of, no, it's not at all. Uh, you know. So like I, I get it. I, I think a lot of people think it's it's a walk in the park and it's not, but there are there are really straightforward ways to do it. It's just it's putting in the time and most people get sick to their stomach by thinking of of putting that much time into something that they're uncertain about. And, and that can be quite a challenge. Yeah, I hear you. I hear. All right, let's 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 go down the Denmark path now and then let's circle back around to the marketing a little bit later. Tell me, how did you end up in Denmark? You've been there, what, six, six years, did you say? Almost, yeah, five and a half. Five and a half. Tell me the story. I want to hear. Yeah, it's one of those things that I, <laughs> I, I, as every great American student, I probably wouldn't have been able to point Denmark out on a map accurately, maybe the year leading up to moving here. <laughs> probably not, just to be totally honest. But yeah, I was working 12, 14-hour days at uh, one of my, my last startups, I had a really bad business partner experience. Uh, the thing didn't last much more than a, a couple of months. And yeah, I begged for my old job back at a large organization, got it. And uh, basically, I had 10 days of, of vacation saved up. And, you know, that, that's pretty standard in the US. You're, you're looking at, you know, two weeks, which is really 10 days. So I had a buddy getting married out in the UK and uh, booked all my tickets and posted on Facebook. And an old friend of mine from college basically said, hey, you know, I, I live in Copenhagen. It's really cheap to go from London to Copenhagen. And I was like, well, dude, the tickets have already been booked. And he sent me uh, a flight link. And it, it's basically $30 round trip to go from the UK, like the UK to, to Copenhagen. And I was like, oh, well, I don't mind burning that. Let's, let's dance. Uh, so yeah, I came out here for all of two and a half days in the midst of what was a really nice August weekend. I uh, got to meet a handful of interesting characters. <laughs> See, that was smart and... of him. That was smart to send you over. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. In the middle of summer. Yeah, hmm. <laughs> if I had come in January, I can assure you it wouldn't have happened. Hundred uh, percent. Um, but yeah, I, I kind of felt like there was something different about this place. And I, I realized it would put my life on a very different trajectory. But one of the more pressing things that I, I was kind of overwhelmed by was I was meeting people and explaining that, you know, I was getting my, my full 10 days of travel for the year out of the way. And I wouldn't have any vacation until after December. And they're like, 
what? Like, what? how much vacation? And I'm like, 10 days. What do you guys get? And everybody's like, well, it's mandatory five, but I, I get six. And I was like, oh, I get seven. I'm like, nobody gets a month off. That's not a thing. And they're like, no, that's a thing everywhere else except from where you come from. And, and to me, that was mind boggling. And I felt like somebody had kind of lifted the wool. And I was like, ah, oh. <laughs> like there's, there's other ways to kind of have a work-life balance and a life outside of everything that I thought was just normal. So that definitely kind of gave me a little kick in the ass to say, like, it's time to explore and at least see if, see if this is something I can actually do out here. So talk to me a little bit about Denmark itself. And just for anyone who's listening, and if you've seen my name, my heritage is from Denmark. I have never been to Denmark. I don't speak Danish. I have my great-grandfather's name, and I don't know why I haven't been out there. I haven't been to that part of, like, I haven't been to Finland, Norway, Sweden, Denmark at all. I've been to Holland, which, I mean... Close. Close. (laughs) (laughs) Not really Scandinavia, kind (laughs) of Scandinavia. no. No. I've been to lots of other places. I guess I always wanted to travel to the more difficult countries. I've been to North Korea and Iran and Zimbabwe and places like that, Uganda and Nigeria. One day I will go to Denmark. Tell me about Denmark. What is it actually like there? Yeah, I I think they do have a very unique culture. It's very, you know, it's what you picture in terms of Scandinavia. So it's it's very clean streets. They live by this thing, which is basically uh, minimalist and practicality paired with yeah, a lot of, a lot of like very thin white architecture kind of stuff. I don't know. From the standpoint of like what I always told friends when I was moving here, it was like, look, if if you don't like biking, beautiful cities and beautiful women, then Copenhagen's probably just not for you. It, it's just one of those kind of unique towns where I think upon visiting, it's very friendly and uh, very welcoming. Everybody bikes everywhere. I think after living here for a bit longer, I have kind of different perceptions, but you know, it, it's, there's a lot to want in terms of a giant middle class, a relatively well-educated populace, uh, and lots of little kind of gimmicks that get people kind of questioning like what they're doing. Like the socialist mindset out here is absurd. So like students never pay for college. And that goes for people outside of Denmark. Uh, so like people from the EU, college is 100% free. And they actually pay you to go to school if you work 10 hours a week. So like it, they'll give you enough money to go out drinking three days a week and pay rent. It's the greatest thing I've ever seen from like a college mindset. I, I wish I had you uh, kind of passport to, to pull that off, but yeah, it's a great little town, but you know, it, it can evolve like any other place you live in, in some place for too long and you know, it, it can change. And so do you think for, from the personal side, will you, be living there long-term or is this a temporary stop? Will you be going for citizenship at one point or how is that going to look? Yeah. So like the, the language is, is interesting, but it's one of those things and I'm sure you can relate as well. Like you've lived in a lot of different places. If I decide to settle down and forever live here in, in Denmark, I share a language with 5.5 million people on the planet, Danish. And realistically, I'd rather learn a language that maybe I could share with a billion or I don't know, maybe 300,000 or sorry, 300 million. Uh, So like that in and of itself is a bit tricky. Uh, And from the standpoint of, yeah, being able to stay long term, I I have an Italian girlfriend. And if we were to get married, uh, we could potentially apply for visas, but I have to pass a certain level in the languages. And this is one of the highest density of, of Europeans outside of obviously like the UK, that everybody speaks English. It's like 98% of the population. So did about two to three months of classes and was like, wait, what am I doing? Like everybody, I've only had a handful of situations where it's like, uh, do telefonsk, you know? And they're like, uh, no. And then it's like, okay, we have nothing to talk about. You don't, you don't speak English. So, you know, we're good. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's been, uh, it's been really easy to get acclimated. Yeah, it would probably be better if I spoke the language, but out of necessity, it's really not there. Mm-hmm. Oh, I think that, okay, first of all, you hit the nail on the head. If you're going to invest your time and energy effort into a language, for my money, I'm certainly going to be putting it into a language which is going to have the most amount of application. So I speak Spanish quite fluently. I live in Panama. I've got a home there. And there's what, 400 
450 million native Spanish speakers. And there's a lot of places that you go where they will speak no English. I mean, zero, nada, nothing. So if you don't have Spanish, you're kind of up shit's creek. But when you say about Denmark, and it's and in particular, your part of Copenhagen, where what was it, 98% of the population speaks English, then I mean, that's a very different landscape, you could say, for sure. Yeah, I mean, they start learning it at the age of seven. So it's English. Uh, so, you know, it, it makes a difference. It's not as if you know, I think back to like my U.S. education. It's like, I think we started picking up languages somewhere around seventh grade. So you're looking at, you know, age 11 or 12. And it's like, eh, <laughs> like two years earlier, but I certainly wouldn't have picked Danish out of all of the different options. That wouldn't have been like, oh yeah, that'll be fun. You know, so. Do you feel like you can still connect with the locals in a meaningful way, even though you don't speak their language and you're there speaking your language, if we can say like that? Yeah, I, I mean, so like there's lots of different ways to look at it. I'm not shit on the Danes for a bit because I've been here long enough, so, so it's fine, right? <laughs> it, it's one of the countries, like they have like a really interesting map of all the different countries where it's easier to integrate or easier to make friends. And Denmark consistently comes up amongst pretty much the other Nordic countries as the top countries where it's nearly impossible to make friends. And there's numerous reasons behind this. One is that people don't tend to leave. You do have people that will move internationally, but then eventually come back. And a lot of the friends that you make as you know a little kid, you basically have throughout life. But the other side of it is, yeah, this is like a weird society that believes their own is the absolute best in the world at everything. And so like, it's it's really tough encountering a lot of other expats out here where they're like, I've been applying for jobs for like six months. All of the English speaking jobs go to Danes. All the Danish speaking jobs go to Danes. And it's like, yeah, well, I, you know, that's, that's kind of the deal. Uh, and as somebody who's run businesses out here, I certainly see it as well. And it sounds laughable to a broader audience, where it's like nine times out of 10, they will choose Rasmus Rasmussen or Christian Christensen over your boy Taylor Ryan because they know that, hey, this guy's a lot like us. He's very similar. shares a, a rich heritage of being Danish. <laughs> you would probably have a much better chance of getting a job interviews than myself. Yeah, they'll get a, it, quite a surprise, though. My goodness. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Uh-oh. But no, it, it's so bewildering for some people. And, and I think, you know, you have to kind of come in with that understanding is that uh, it is kind of a smaller island effect. A lot of the people that I've talked to that have gone to Japan and have had similar experiences as well, Korea. Yeah, it really just kind of depends on what you're, you're anticipating, but uh, they like to prop up their own. It is kind of a weird good old boy network. And that can be very frustrating from the standpoint of yeah being ambitious and also being in a startup um i've pitched tons of investors out here <laughs> no fucking chance that they would ever invest in an american kid you know over obviously yeah somebody else's homegrown so it's a little different that's so brilliant that's so funny all right what about the taxes hey i gotta ask are they as disgusting as they sound when I read about them on Wikipedia. Yeah, they're way worse. What you see as far as like 37% doesn't cover whether or not you're kind of reaching towards these higher brackets. So like the lowest is 37%. And that's basically if you're making 12,000 kroner a month, which, you know, is probably like two and a half, $3,000 upwards of, yeah. I mean, you can see people that are making absurd amounts of money, but uh, they hide them. So like they throw it into offshore accounts and, and all kinds of crazy things. They've just instituted this new uh, thing with all the banks here. So they're doing negative interest, which means you pay money to keep your money in the bank, negative 0.6%. So like, uh, yeah, I've had to get very creative with, it's all legal, uh, but putting money in different places uh, because yeah, they're very big on the society being one that helps each other and not necessarily the individual or individual wealth, which can be very frustrating as an entrepreneur. I can certainly imagine. Well, traditionally, that's not really what the United States is geared towards. Now, there's going to can certainly be a lot of argument that's which direction the United States is heading. But I think for business owners and entrepreneurs, 
traditionally a lot of them are going to stand against these types of things. And maybe it'll be more of the college students, which you mentioned earlier in the conversation, who might be pushing for these. And, and, and I certainly have a problem with the student debt and the predatory nature of oh, I student totally loaning agree. stuff. That's, yeah. that's brutal. <clears throat> but I don't think that we need to go completely the opposite direction and now try to forgive trillions of dollars worth of student loan. I don't think <laughs> that is the answer either. So that's a whole other podcast over there. <laughs> I know, I know, absolutely. But yeah, no, it, it's it's interesting to take to get your take on the taxes in Denmark because like I said, I have not been there, even though my family and my bloodline and everything is from Denmark. I haven't been there. And I have read about them on the Deloitte's website, on the on the the big accounting firms and the the tax situation there. And I'm scratching my head going how like i i just don't understand how this can possibly be sustainable yeah it's not i realize like i'm shitting on denmark a lot but it really works in a small microcosm and who knows like how things are going to play out here but you know like when you graduate from university here you're given a two-year window at which case the government continues to just put money in your account until you find a job yeah i know right like i saw <laughs> My immediate reaction was the same. Like, what are you serious? Sorry, you guys are like, no, listening to the audio podcast, but my facial expression. <laughs> I'm going to have to release the video for this. This is there you cool. go. Yeah. No, it, and it, it struck me as absurd because I didn't have that luxury. I was looking at $500 monthly payments right out of school, you know, and as soon as you start putting stuff in deferment, forget about it. Um, so, yeah, I didn't really have that luxury. And the reality is, they do that with also getting laid off and unemployment. So if you work somewhere for a few months, you can have that unemployment for another year. That all comes out of our the office right next to me. There were a bunch of Danish guys. They do something really cool out here. They call it Friday bars. Basically, where everybody stops work at like three o'clock, they crack open beers. The CEO all the way down to the intern, everybody's just hanging out. It's it's phenomenal. And the only reason I think it's Probably the easiest thing to do out here is one, like during the winter months, there's fucking nothing to do. So it totally makes sense. Uh, but the other side of it is, you know, like nobody's really driving as much. Like there's a ton of public transport. Everybody learns how to like bike drunk. Like I'm, I'm a phenom at that these days. But yeah, so like you end up getting to meet all kinds of people. And I've been in different co-working spaces and I've made some really nice friends out of it. Uh, but these guys in the office next to me, we were grabbing beers afterwards. And it's one of those crazy things because in Denmark, they had everybody furloughed that basically worked in the service industry and beyond. And so a ton of people were getting 80% of their salaries and a, a portion of their staff was as well. And I was like, dude, I'm an entrepreneur. I don't even qualify for this stuff. And they're like, well, if you were in business for three years, then you would. You know, and it's like, thanks, guy. So I kind of gave a bit more of a U.S reconciliation of what I thought this whole thing about paying people for now over a year to be furloughed looked like from my perspective. And they're like, well, you know, like it must be really tough to stay at home. I'm like, I, yeah, that's fine. But you know, they could volunteer, they could do different things. I, I'm okay with money being set aside for them to put them to work. Uh, and they kind of gave me a bit of a world war two. We all got to do our part kind of thing. Those are the riveter. And I was like, you know what? No, because I don't remember seeing that World War II poster of somebody jerking off and playing Xbox. Well, I'm going to work every day for 12 to 14 hours. I don't remember seeing that poster. You know, and these guys fold up their arms, you know, like blood boiling, like, uh, you don't get, you know, it's like, no, I don't get it. I'm working. You know, like, this is crazy. So it's a very different society. And they live and stand by it, you know, and, and I think a lot of, People aren't taking advantage of that. I can't speak for everybody, but I do think that there's something magical about a place that allows for so much screwing up in life and has this amazing safety net that catches just about everybody. It's, it's wild. I love your rant. This is brilliant. You, you know, this is not where the conversation I expected to go, but if we're going to shit on Denmark, then this is, this is great. I love it. We're here. Yeah. We're all right. Well, then, then, okay. So let's take this thread a little bit further then. Before I pushed record, you were telling me a little bit about the mandatory checks for COVID. Can you please yeah. describe to the audience how that works? Yeah, it's the only country that I'm aware of in the world. Uh, and it's because there's, again, this, this large coffer of, of tax money 
where in order to go about doing the regular things that you used to be able to do, whether it was get a haircut, go to a restaurant, whatever, you have to get a COVID test. And it's not the fancy PCR one. It's, it's the quick test. But you have to get one at a sanctioned facility, usually sanctioned, every three days. And that basically means you have a 72-hour window to go to the gym, get a haircut. You can still go to grocery stores, which is great, I guess. Eating is helpful. I have, I have been told <laughs> that substance yeah, right. does come in handy. So, But, you know, yeah, it's, it's just one of those bizarre things where you look at the expenditure of capital that will go into keeping these places open, keeping nurses constantly there and, and you know, having everybody get checks every 72 hours. There's a death rate and it's been the same for at least the last three months in Denmark. It's it's normally one person a day, maybe two. They're going to feel this for a long time in terms of what is coming out of the budgets for what normally was set aside for some of these public works and, you know, some of the nice uh, kind of golden parachute or, or just safety nets. I don't know what it's going to look like in a year because we are spending an absurd amount of money. I just got the vaccine, the Johnson & Johnson, because... They determined that because seven people out of, I think it was seven million, got sick, that they didn't want the Danish people or anybody living in Denmark to have it. And it was the same with, uh, I believe, AstraZeneca. So you can opt in for it. It took them a month and a half, but yeah, they were selling it to Germany and Austria and a few other countries because they they wanted people to wait, which means I was supposed to get my vaccine here in Denmark two months ago, and they kept pushing it back and pushing it back. So had I not opted into an experimental program where it's given everywhere else, Johnson & Johnson, I would have gotten it at the end of September. But yeah, I, I opted into the program. So I got vaccinated on Sunday. Well, you know, I, I whinge and complain that I now need to take the test, COVID tests, PCR tests, whatever ones, in and out of airports. So in the last, during COVID, I've been to the States, Mexico, Costa Rica, and now I'm in Brazil and each time back and forth through Panama. And I hate these fucking tests. I just absolutely despise them, especially the PCR. Yeah, it's, sure. it's disgusting. I mean, they literally lobotomize you. The rapid <laughs> test is not fun, but at least, I mean, they're not tickling the back of your spinal cord with a Q-tip that goes through your nose. But I mean, every three days, every 72 hours just yeah. for wanting to get a haircut people got to agree that's that's extreme like that's really extreme okay we're just going to take a quick break so if you guys haven't joined expat money forum yet then i don't know what i need to do to get you guys to go on this the conversations in this forum are just unbelievable the networking is fantastic there's so much things being shared with the group that honestly it's more than just me it's more than just this podcast it has grown to a life of its own we have over two thousand people in our private group discussing things like immigration, asset protection, travel, food, culture, history, everything about being an expat and going overseas. There's tons of work being done on Plan B residencies, on different passports. We're even talking about SIM cards, international SIM cards, and the best places to get your internet if you're a digital nomad and you're traveling around the world. There are so many things that are being shared by people who are actually in different countries, who are digital nomads, who are expats, who have gone offshore, and there's just so much there. So I'm really excited about it. I hope you can see that I'm really thrilled about this group because it's just more than I ever expected. And a massive shout out to you if you are part of the group and you are contributing and helping other people who are looking to get where you are. You are an awesome person. I really, really appreciate it. So if you guys want to get involved, if you want to join the conversation, then go to expatmoneyforum.com or on Facebook directly, you can search for Expat Money Forum. You'll find us there. We should come up on the very first page. And yeah, join the group, join the conversation. Lots happening there. Okay, let's jump back into today's interview. All right, well, let's take things full circle. So uh, I, I don't want to leave a bad taste in people's mouth here talking about Denmark. Let's talk more about the bicycles and the pretty city and the gorgeous girls. Let, let's let's give a little bit of credit where credit is due. There you go. Sure. I, I mean, I, I grew up in the suburbs of, of D.C., so like Arlington, Northern Virginia, that kind of stuff. And 
yeah, I always had a car. Uh, and realistically, I always thought that was the best way to get around. And, and yeah, it made total sense in terms of just moving stuff around. I haven't owned a vehicle in almost six years. <laughs> I still have a, like a U.S. program number that uh, I paid for a long time ago. And it, it is basically a forever number. And occasionally I get like those people that call up that are like, your warranty is about to expire. Do you know that? Yeah, super annoying. So like I get those from time to time and I'm like, look, I haven't had a car in six years. How is my warranty expired? And one of the ladies is like, oh, you're poor. And I'm like, I'm like, look lady, I gotta go. Like, this is absurd. The novelty of, of biking to work, not only does it give you like a, a place to clear your head and a, a chance to kind of not want to punch the steering wheel, but I also think it, it you, when you're biking through a city that is as, as classically beautiful as this, like it, it changes some of the things that I, I think I used to really dread about going into work, especially when you have kind of some of these, these summer months now where it's, we're getting what amounts to, I think it's like 17 hours, 18 hours of like full on daylight. You know, that, that stuff is really nice. And if or when I end up moving on, it's one of the bigger things that I'll miss is, is kind of that cathartic commute to work in one of the beautiful cities of Europe that I never thought I'd, I'd even set foot in, much less live in for over five years now, five and a half. So, yeah, that stuff matters. And I do think that from the standpoint of the ladies, it has been super interesting because I, I find that the Danish guys are a bit more reserved. They, they're apprehensive about talking to to women they haven't met before they tend to stay with their own group when they go out and so imagine being a boisterous louder version of them me uh and these are women that would never give me the time of day like heard a thousand times go fuck yourself and it's like okay all right thanks see ya but out here i mean willing to talk with me it's like these are the Prettiest people who've ever even known my name. And that was something that I really just, I was, I was overwhelmed by. Uh, and, you know, it's, you're unique when you're not European and you're out here. So, yeah, the first six months to a year, I, I, uh, I definitely had a lot of fun and, and got to meet all kinds of people. And, yeah, I, I mean, I'm still having fun with it. But obviously now I, I've settled down quite a bit. I've yeah, managed to, to pull together a really great girlfriend. And I, I think things are on the up and up. So, yeah, it's it's different. That's cool, man. That's cool. You tell such good stories. There's they're so descriptive. I can literally imagine you out at the pub, <laughs> like a group of like six foot four tall Danish guys, but they're all huddled together in one corner. You got a couple of pints in you and just absolutely going for it. <laughs> I mean, draw on the charm. What's the worst that can happen? You know that Rasmus over there is gonna walk over. So like, yeah, it's it's uh it's good for a visit for anybody that's considering going to Copenhagen. It's, it's quite charming. Very nice. Very nice. Well, I, I suppose we should probably circle back and talk about business at some point. I mean, this is a business podcast, but okay. So, so you've come over to Denmark, you decided you came over for, from what it sounds like more of the lifestyle personal side and decided that you wanted to build your business as a startup there. What were some of the things that you went through or some of the challenges or some of the the strong points why someone might want to consider building a startup in Scandinavia? If there are any, I don't even know. Sure. There's definitely an apprehension of doing things that fall into a gray zone. Uh, And that's what a lot of growth hacking is. Uh, Hacking is a really fancy wording, but it's using areas that maybe are on the edge of what some people might have, I don't know, philosophical reasons for saying, I don't agree with doing that. So scraping a giant list of attendees to an event and automatically sending them emails. Some people are like, well, that feels like spam. And it's like, well, yeah, it is. But, you know, knock on enough doors and every once in a while, you know, somebody opens up and says, what are you selling? So if you're not thinking that way, it becomes really tragically difficult to scale up companies from a tiny little peninsula looking country like Denmark. Uh, so every company that I've come in as either the chief marketing officer, the head of marketing, basically the person leading the charge within marketing, they've had exits. Uh, and that's, for those that don't know, basically a really good thing. It means somebody's either acquired 
or bought your company or even merged with it. And every company that I've come in and started putting in these automatic and, and sometimes I don't know, deviant processes has done really well. And it takes a bit of time for people to kind of come around to the idea. So yeah, I, I've been wedged out of every company that I've come in as the marketing leader because they're not quite ready for that type of marketing. And it's understandable. And I, you know, I, I totally get where they're coming from, but I had all of them kind of reach back and be like, oh, dude, you were right. And it's like, yeah, thanks for that. But that's like way too late. So yeah, I would say I was one out of like maybe 500 people that do what I do back in DC in terms of, you know, the, the growth hacky kind of mindset. Out here, I was maybe one out of 0.5, one out of five, maybe. So it gave me a lot of opportunities. And if you are at all technical and you're really passionate, and I don't know if you can tell them, I really dig this stuff, you can go a really long way. And sometimes when you walk into a culture that works 37 hours a week max, uh, and you're willing to do 80, 90, 100 in order to get better, get faster, and leapfrog over anybody that's in front of you, it can either be somewhat disconcerting or it, it can kind of make people defensive or just basically harbor all kinds of weird feelings because they're like, that's not what we do here. Uh, and I've, I've struggled from the start with kind of adopting that lifestyle. I, I don't give a shit about CrossFit. I don't want to watch Netflix after work. I want to learn this shit. Like, I want to get good at what I'm doing. And that goes against a lot within the culture. They have this thing called Yenta Law. Uh, which basically is like, don't stand out. Don't, don't think you're better than other people. Don't act like you're better. Don't stand out because you've done something unique. Uh, and I think it cripples a society to be totally honest, but it's also brought me a lot of interesting introspective moments of no, 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 I am doing the right thing. And, and from an entrepreneur standpoint, I think it's good to have some of those moments. So there's an important point in there. I mean, being the big fish in a small pond in certain circumstances might actually make sense. Because as you said, in DC, you might be one of hundreds. I mean, how do you get ahead? How do you get enough opportunities so you can properly cut your teeth so that you can be better? Well, maybe start in a smaller community overseas. Maybe that is the answer. I mean, that's an interesting way to look at it. That's certainly what I what I did. And you know, now it's now it's this interesting kind of thing where, you know, you, you do kind of grow into a small ecosystem. You know, for those that don't know, like Copenhagen's really small. We're talking a metropolitan area of like 600,000 people. So like, <laughs> like not gigantic. Uh, so many of your tier two cities, whether it's like Pittsburgh or I don't know, like Charleston are, are kind of close almost to that size, but not quite. So actually Pittsburgh's like twice that size, but it's besides the point. I think if you are looking to get into a place and stir things up, you start to really acknowledge like these are the major players because there's only five of them. And from somebody that's really geared into the startup scene and always been, I think it makes everybody a lot more accessible, uh, whether it's investors or major entrepreneurs. So if that's something that you know your listeners are looking for, I think you do find that in, in much smaller ecosystems. I don't know if you would find that as easily in Berlin or London. Uh, or Singapore or something, but you certainly do find that in smaller, like tier two cities uh, in Europe, for sure. Uh, I definitely understand that. I mean, I remember having a conversation with a friend of mine and he was living in Thailand. He was an expat in Thailand and his kids were going to school and the kids were going to school with like royal family of Thailand, with the sons and daughters of the CEOs, the sons and daughters of the ambassadors. And it was just like, that was just the international school that they all happened to go to and they could afford and it wasn't a very big deal. Now, I mean, try to transplant that and talk about it in the United States or something like that. Your chances of getting your kid into one of those types of schools, I mean, unless you are also, you know, a multi-billionaire or something like that, there's probably chances are slim to none. But when you start over again, in smaller countries with smaller economies, with more closed knit, opportunities do come a lot easier, I think, to you. And I think being an expat is actually, can be a door opener in a lot of circumstances. Definitely. 
Yeah. And I, I do find that that's, that's one of the unique things about being out here is that, yeah, it, it's not impossible to get in touch with the right people, uh, which is kind of neat. So talk to me a little bit then about what it was like to actually work with the Danes with building a team there and building a business, like from the human aspect. What can you tell me about that side? Yeah, I, I've really enjoyed, it's a unique society from the standpoint of, I've already described the way that, you know, it works with basically being paid to go to school. The other really happy offshoot that comes from that is the university's basically encourage students, if not require students, to get an unpaid internship for anywhere from 10 to 20 weeks, which means now, yeah, now you have free labor. The facial uh, expressions, the facial expressions. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> so you have free Sorry, labor to work with. And it's, it's quite amazing because I, I think it's a pro and con type situation. I've had as many as 30 interns at once, and that was way too many. 30? Um, 30, 3-0. 3-0. Uh, yeah. 30 and, interns. I right. work sometimes with two, and I'm like, that's... I know, but, you know, like, think about it like this. Everything comes down to a process. Okay. So if you can give people processes that are bulletproof and there's enough work to go around that they're able to kind of round robin or switch over to different processes so they don't stagnate and feel like they're not learning and they don't feel like they're human robots... Because in many cases, they can be, which is kind of tough. But you have them broken down into different areas. And I've always been pretty good at, at really this process-driven approach. And what I would do is have one intern basically build the whole process out, write everything down, I'd check it over. And then that is the process that they pass on to the next intern and the next intern and the next intern. So I had hundreds of different projects that were processes that anybody could just pick up and run. And for those that have ever used virtual assistants, I think this is far more powerful and in many ways builds an interesting culture around it because you have people that want to learn, you have people that are constantly getting into new and interesting projects, but they're not necessarily paid, which is kind of nice. And ultimately, if they get to a point after three months that you feel like these are really solid people, you can hire them. And so I've only hired, with the exception of maybe one uh, full-time person over the last five years, I've only hired interns because most of the things that I find people are taught in schools are so irrelevant to being in the actual job that it's actually counterproductive. And in many cases, they come from companies that aren't teaching even the basics. So it's like, yeah, I know you did three months or three years over there, but I've seen your shit and it's really rough. So I'd rather just take somebody with zero experience and eat the two to three month learning period during an internship, at which case I know I'm going to have a rocker on the other side. Uh, and for some people, that is a really tough game to play because it requires a lot of hands-on, it requires teaching, it requires focus on processes. But what I've gotten out of it is a bulletproof system and a bunch of really just eager, go-getter, crazy marketers that can do just about anything. Uh, so you know, for a while, I had people that were really just trying to recruit the people that had been trained underneath me, which was flattering, but at the same time, incredibly frustrating because it's my team. So, so yeah, it's, it's been <laughs> a try to snake ride. all your best people. Jeez. That's it. Yeah. And so, and then culturally working with these university students and with the, the interns, culturally, is there a big gap there or, you know, are you it bridging depends. it pretty fast or how does that look? Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know if you can tell by my general vernacular, but I, I don't consider myself the standard 35-year-old that I, I probably encountered when I was 20, 21, and, and upwards. There's a very flat hierarchy in Denmark in general, and I think that allows for kind of a, a more seamless integration of, of some of the entry-level people. Now, I'm not going to pull a bunch of these kids into a room and be like, all right, creative session. Let's get all your ideas. Like, I don't give a shit about that. Your ideas are so early. Like, let's, <laughs> let's show them that. Uh, but from the standpoint of, uh, I think many of the Danes saw a lot of these uneducated, at least in their eyes, uneducated people that hadn't gone through the proper channels and were coming into the organizations. They weren't used to that. Uh, and as I mentioned before, I think a lot of people are a bit apprehensive about hiring a Romanian guy or an Italian guy or a Lithuanian. And that's almost exclusively what I've hired because they're hardworking, they're 
really smart. They're ambitious because they've, they've obviously left where they came from. And they're willing to do everything that it takes in order to get better, get ahead. Um, that is a dynamite, <clears throat> excuse me, dynamite recipe for an amazing uh, person, much less an amazing employee. So to be honest, I've only hired one Dane over the last little bit. Um, I've come close with partnering with uh, a couple of Danes, but yeah, there's just, there's a plethora of like really amazing people here that I just continue to work with because circumstantially they've come in and worked with me as interns. So now they're, they're full-time people. Okay. Those are some good insights. So I guess before we wrap up, maybe what would you tell someone who is thinking about Denmark or, or wants to actually spend an extended amounts of time there, maybe as an expat or relocate there? Do you think that it's something they should do? Is is the, the bike riding and the girls and all the other stuff we talked about worth it for the downsides, which we also talked about? Yeah. Logistically, it's it's surprisingly difficult. So like they have a very high salary level that most people would be able to come into as as what they call the pay limit scheme. So most other European countries, with the exception of the UK, don't make it that difficult for people to emigrate here. There's a reason that it's very homogenized and it's not because they're super welcoming. But if you're mid-career level, you have five to 10 years of experience, it's a heck of a lot easier. I would say that this is one hell of an adventure. You learn a lot about yourself and honestly the rest of the world by coming to a place like this I don't know if I would recommend it, obviously, as I've kind of stated, for the long run, but uh, that in and of itself is kind of what you're supposed to experience by moving to a completely different culture, giving up the things that you thought were the safe things or the things that you understood about uh, the way life was. It changes you. It makes you think faster. It makes you pause and question the things that you're about. The thing that I'm always kind of relaying back in, into either my own mind and, and the people that I talk with is... They have this kind of Benjamin Franklin effect, which is where you, in essence, you have this Benjamin Franklin guy, amazing dude from Philadelphia, and moves to Paris. And he's out in Paris for five years, five to 10 years. I can't remember how long. And he comes back to Philadelphia and he's like, oh, now I can't relate to the people that I used to know because I'm too European. And I certainly never related to the Parisians to begin with because I was too American. So you, you fall into this weird slot of, of expat. And I, I don't really know if you get out of that or get into it very easily, but it's a very strange place to live because you share a lot of the similar mindsets of both that it's like, I, I don't fall in any political spectrum of me. And that can be really disconcerting because that happens to everybody that moves somewhere else is that you become kind of a blended character of different things from both societies. And, and it's good and bad. And, and I encourage everybody to at least, I don't know, give it a shot. Uh, the things that I'm sure you can relate to as well with changing your perceptions of how things you always thought supposed to were supposed to work aren't the same everywhere. I don't know. That, that's kind of my big takeaway is like, go for it. Just realize like you're going to have a bunch of these kind of epiphany moments where it's like, I'm no longer as easily agreeable with all the friends that I left behind or obviously family. So it, it's, it's a caveat, just like anything else. I can certainly relate to literally everything you just said. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Brilliant. Taylor, thank you so much for your time today. I love it. Such a cool conversation. Very, very funny. You made me laugh today. If my <laughs> listeners want to get a hold of you, if they want to find out more about what you do, where can we send them? Yes. Uh, so I am the only Taylor Ryan in Denmark. There is a Ryan Taylor. <laughs> Uh, I, I, I meet people that are like, oh, do you know Ryan Taylor? And he goes, well, it's like, that's not even how it works. You know, like first name, but no. Um, so you can look me up on LinkedIn. I run Clint Marketing, uh, K-L-I-N-T uh, Marketing, and, and that's .com. That's my marketing agency. I run growthsecrets.org. That's my online masterclass. I also run taylorryan.io, which is for workshops and yeah, a lot more like innovation consulting. And I also run architecturequotes.com, which is basically an aggregator for global architecture projects. So just like you, lots of different businesses constantly bubbling and, and going. So every day something new. But feel free to connect with me. I love connecting with everybody. 
Awesome. So you guys look up Taylor Ryan in Denmark. He's the only Taylor Ryan in Denmark. And I am the only Mikkel Thorup outside of Denmark. So there we go. <laughs> Very cool. Awesome. And I will make sure that I have all of the links to Taylor's stuff at expatmoneyshow.com underneath his episode. Taylor, thanks so much, my friend. I'll talk to you soon, okay? All right. Sounds great. Thanks. This episode may be over, but your journey to greatness continues by visiting our webpage and signing up for our newsletter. For convenient access to new episodes, show notes, and other crucial resources, visit expatmoneyshow.com. We look forward to you joining us on the next episode of the Expat Money Show. Safe travels. I have managed to secure exclusive rights to a block of villas in one of the hottest up-and-coming regions in my current home country, Panama. Join me Saturday, May 4th at 10 a.m. Central, 11 a.m. Eastern Time for our special presentation called Investors Workshop, capitalizing on the globally recognized resort brand coming to Panama. We will discuss how the tourism landscape in this region will change rapidly upon the public announcement of this project and how I have secured the rights for my clients to capitalize on this opportunity before anyone else. Thanks to my connections in the region, I have negotiated pricing that front runs everyone else. Think early, early bird pricing. From gourmet restaurants to vibrant clubs, poolside activities, and even live bands, this resort is going to pump some serious life into the region. But this isn't what excites me or what should excite you either. The exciting part is that these world-class amenities and top brand will attract tens of thousands of tourists. Tourists who will fork over top dollar to stay at our investment properties. Register free at expatmoney.com forward slash webinars. That's expatmoney.com forward slash webinars to register for this free real estate workshop. See you on May 4th at 10 a.m. Central Time. That's 11 a.m. Eastern time, go to expatmoney.com forward slash webinar.